Did I take enough data into consideration? And if you think it through, you find you never could take enough data into consideration. The data for a decision in any given situation is infinite. Welcome to another episode of the Decision Architecture Podcast. My name is Chris. This podcast is dedicated to technology, society, primarily technology surrounded by AI. Tonight, we are going to be talking about how neurons work, and not just the neurons that are inside the biological human body and other, you know, other living things, but um, neurons of an artificial intelligent agent, you know, in, a, in, in machine learning, for example, um, neurons are used just like they're used in the body, in the brain of a human human brain to, you know, to carry out tasks or to learn, but it also is used in machine learning for um, the, the actual bot or the training, the training application to learn to solve a particular problem. Um, I have uh, a few, you know, pieces of information I wanted to share for today. Uh, this particular podcast is usually dedicated to kind of putting together like small nuggets of information that um, I've always been interested in and to kind of, you know, reiterate it over uh, a course of a podcast, um, you know, with decent commentary and entertainment purposes. Uh, if you want to find out more about this podcast and we want to be interested in listening to any previous podcasts, tune into anchor.fm. That's anchor.fm and you can do forward slash decision theory. So, uh, and also you can also put in Twitter, decisions theory at Twitter. Uh, so, you know, before we go ahead and we start the show, and before we continue to start the topic, I'm just going to take a small break. And when we come back, um, we will continue. Stay tuned. Hi, it's me, Edisha again. <laughs> and you're listening to Decision Architecture Podcast, a technology podcast about how decisions define us and how they don't. We are approaching a future where we will be able to see how each of our decisions opens a new door and closes another. Decisions, decisions, decisions. <laughs> when choosing what podcast to tune into, choose Decision Architecture Podcast. AI is at the forefront of a new era of computing, cognitive computing. It's a radically new kind of computing, very different from the programmable systems that preceded it, as different as those systems were from the tabulating machines of a century ago. Conventional computing solutions, based on the mathematical principles that emanate from the 1940s, are programmed based on rules and logic intended to derive mathematically precise answers, often following a rigid decision tree approach. But with today's wealth of big data and the need for more complex evidence-based decisions, such a rigid approach often breaks or fails to keep up with available information. Cognitive computing enables people to create a profoundly new kind of value, finding answers and insights locked away in volumes of data. Decision Architecture Podcast. Um, tonight's show is about how neurons works in MML. And before we go ahead, we take a you know a, a deep dive into what um, you call it again. What is actually a neuron? You know, we could just talk about what we talk about on this show. You know, so far we've been talking about AI as a technique. You know, that is used to you know help a computer respond more intelligently as an intelligent agent. 
So when you see things like playing video games or a self-driving car, you might be noticing that there is more interesting things are able to be done with AI within these particular um, technologies. For example, if a data is like scanning, you know, your retina and is labeled with different types of diseases and you were using these things to try to figure out rules of what would be within that image of an uh, of your retina that has like a disease. Well, you would have to kind of create like something called a model, which you can then use in the future with other scans to compare to to get like what we would call a prediction of whether or not the retina is disease or not. This would be used as well for like playing video games, whether you want to model the the uh, the idea of a of a, of a I say a monster that you're playing. I actually have seen it in one of these recent games called um, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, they were using a lot of machine learning inside that game. Um, this game um, is an an action RPG um, where you kind of you know fight against monsters, and the monsters are kind of like have a uh, they kind of have like a they kind of learn from the characters, the people, the players. So if they they usually are usually too difficult, but they won't be. They try to give the user an opportunity to to have a better experience by not being too hard and not being too easy. So it learns from how you attack. So you know, and it's really interesting how that was working. Um, one of the characters was in the, uh, uh, it was in one of the um, areas in the game where you had to fight against this thing called Roadhouse, and it was kind of interesting. And uh, not to go off topic, but you know, I was just you know, machine learning is being used everywhere, not just you know in places like that. But I, um, I was really able to kind of overcome up on an area of that particular game because of this particular. Um, machine learning, you know, application that was that was embedded inside the game. You don't really see it, really, but um, I was able to read up on it and how they were saying it was being used. A lot of games are using it these days, you know. So that means that being said, um, so let's continue. I mean, let's figure out like what's a neural network that we want to talk about, you know. So we'll just start with a simple concept. Concept, you know, if you're familiar with like you know basic algebra, algebra and you have to draw a line. You know, a line usually had a, was a function that was expressed in the in the terms of y equals mx plus plus b, and you can calculate you know y equals f plus b s plus b for almost anything on the line, and by multiplying the x value by a value, you usually would get like you know the actual you know uh, you would get like the what you would call the slope, but in neurons you would call it a weight, and it wouldn't be mx; it would have to be wx for weight. And then by adding another value, another value, which is called like um, the uh, the bias, you know, would be considered for the um, b. But um, you know, in algebra, you kind of use this called the y-intercept. So, um, so for example, if you plot the y equals two x minus one, it will, you know, probably would look where it would kind of the line will start from the bottom of the page. And go to the top, and kind of you would have this line going right through the middle of the page, or the middle of the graph. Um, if you see where when y x equals zero, that line will go straight through the middle or the origin of the of the graph, and that would basically give you understanding that the um, that the, the the actual line is being drawn proper, properly. If you started to add in different, if you added in numbers, values between zero and I don't know seven, wherever how how large your your um your graph is. So you know this way you can see that 
Um, if you continue to, to use those particular mindsets for that, um, you can think about what would that actually mean for, you know, for a, a, you know, a, a neuron. Well, I'm going to get to that. You know, if you have taken that same for expression, y equals mx plus b or y equals wx plus b, you would um, would notice that um, you would if you wanted to continue to add that function and make that function dynamic, meaning that you would use it and call at any point that you needed it, you can create a function similar to one that's used in like programming. And um, with that, you can, and with that, you can go ahead and understand that um, that you're kind of like building a function that could be used by removing the uh, the w and the x and the b from the expression, and then actually passing it into the parameter of the function. So we can call the function, you know. I will call it neuron function x, you know, and it would have three parameters, y, x, and b. And um, with y equals um, 2, um, y equals wx minus b, um, it would return y. So y wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be assigned at the top of it. You would actually would say y would be returned as a value when the function is invoked, if you're focusing more on the programming part of it. And if you pay attention to that, you may not understand that, you know, quite well when you're thinking about it in in terms of of um, you wouldn't be able to sit back here and, and and look at it from in terms of um, um, in terms of I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out an idea here. Why? Oh, yeah. Well, you wouldn't be able to figure out what it means, like in terms of like what a neuron is, but that's what specifically what a neuron would actually do. A neuron, if in a body, is usually, uh, well, it's not usually. It's it's it would basically would have like a uh, a nucleus, right? And at the smallest version of the cell, then the uh, the neuron is basically a cell, nerve cell, and then it would have these. Um, it would have these um, the outside parts of it. Um, sends out signals, and because it's usually a nerve cell, is usually not that not that significant unless it's connected to other nerve cells, and those cells and those signals are computed through the nucleus. So whatever Y is, you know, whatever Y is will be sent out, and what goes into Y is the MX or the WX and B. So if you had you know, a circle and had three lines outside of it, and each of those lines was a parameter, they would, those, those parameters would go into the circle and then come out of the circle would be the value y, and that would be sent out to all the other different neurons. And that is pretty much a way to understand what a neuron actually is. It's just a way to process information at a very small level and allowing that information to move across a network a neural network, so that way that it can be able to solve issues wherever it's needed. Whether you are touching, you know, a hot stove and you need to move your hand really quickly, or if you are, you know, playing the drums and you need to listen to this the beat of the music and your, your breath and your, the sound of your breath and the way you're moving your hands, you know, those things are all done, you know, almost almost immediately. 
So, uh, and on a neural network is usually you're done with that. So if you want to use that same type of patterns to kind of create a, you know, to make a, an AI bot, you know, you know, play the drums based off of some beat or that you would create through your training your bot to be doing, or if you wanted to create a, um, um, a thermometer that would actually be able to come on based off of the fact that it would be able to sense the temperature in the area and knowing and imagine and manage the temperature in the area, you would need to have those sensors process the, not, not only the house in, um, temperature, but also the temperature outside the house, you know, and then in that, that information would help those things solve problems like that on, on its own. So you would kind of, so this, if you pay attention to this on a global level, you can sell these bots, and these bots would these bots would learn wherever they are in the world, whether they're living in the coldest regions or the hottest regions. You know, so uh, I don't want to really go too much into that. I think that I hope that it is enough for now. Um, the next the next topic we're going to be talking about, we'll be talking a little bit about what machine learning is, and so stay tuned. <sighs> <clears throat> Welcome back! This is the Decision Architecture Podcast. A podcast about how decisions define us and how they don't. <laughs> but first, what is alpha-beta pruning according to academia? Time is a precious <laughs> gift. Yeah, what she said. Time is a precious gift because you only have a set amount of it. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. When you give someone your time, you are giving them a portion of your life that you'll never get back. Your time is your life. To avoid wasting too much time, we should eliminate large amounts of choices from our decision tree. Very similar to how artificial intelligent agents do, with a technique called alpha-beta pruning. When alpha-beta pruning is applied to a min-max tree, it improves getting to the desired outcome without wasting time going down unnecessary paths. Consider the Super Nintendo game, Super Mario World. If an intelligent agent is given the task to complete a level within the game, the intelligent agent who never played the game before would have to try different strategies or approaches down a decision tree before coming up with a path that would lead to the goal. Decision After decision Decision <laughs> Poor Mario! Luckily, with alpha-beta pruning, our little intelligent agent would be able to save time doing something reckless, like going left instead of right. Our intelligent agent can prune away the idea that going left is a good idea or walking into an object like that monster over there. So, to summarize, when trying to reduce the computation time by a huge factor by cutting off branches in the decision tree because there is a better branch available, this is called alpha-beta pruning.
Welcome back. This is Decision to Architecture podcast, a podcast about decisions and how they define us and how they don't. This is the second part of our podcast, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what is machine learning. Now, you might have heard this in passing. I, I think you've heard it. I talked about it in a few of the episodes back in the um, the early days of, of this podcast. But I will go ahead and just try to, you know, Let's talk a lot right now because I want to really help people understand a little bit about what machine learning is and and what it's not. So um, with that being said, let's just go ahead and just jump right in. So when you are paying attention to um, getting a computer to write some code, let's say you're trying to get the computer to um, do a query, you know, you want to ask the computer to, um, you know, search for, you know, something to eat, you know, and you are, you know, you use a fun, use a, a script that will, you know, you, you like, what is it to eat? And you, you base it off of like all the places to eat in the area, you know, get your living, you know, that'll be one place. And then what you'll do with that is that you'll take that same information and then you go ahead and you, um, We'll put it into the program, write some code, and then you will probably get a return of like different places to eat. But that may be too many places to eat. You know, it might be hundreds or maybe even thousands of places to eat. So you would want to go ahead and organize your information in some sort of form, you know, based off of like an algorithm. You know, maybe you would search for places to eat based off of, you know, how popular the restaurants are to eat, or maybe which restaurants are open at this time. You know, yeah, and this algorithm, this is like an implicit code, you know, creation. You're basically writing your code to do one or two things. But suppose that you are writing this so that way you wanted the the algorithm to learn on the search for places to eat based off of dynamic goals, you know. Maybe the person is a vegan and you want to write an, an algorithm or you want to create an application for that person to search for those different, different places, but you want them to only return the information Based off of that, based off of that, so based off of the uh, the idea of the fact that you're in a vegan and I only want to eat at places that serve vegan food, or maybe you know you're writing an application that search for food, but you want to make sure that it's searching for food that's in your area and it's not searching for food that's on the other side of town. Maybe you want to go ahead and have it learn to to look at what people are looking to eat, and then you know also if you eat at one place, it shows you places that it that places that are feeding you similarly or has food similar to the other restaurants, you know? Maybe you are interested in, you know, eating at restaurants, you know, in an, in an area that's, you know, not in the area you're in, but you're in another area. It would, it would This information that you're giving it would be um, dynamic variables that it would have to digest that information and then choose what it would like to do. So when you pay attention to that, machine learning would help with that. Right now, this is probably in use in, in many of our devices. Like the machine learning is used in your Google search engine, you know, making sure that it returns information based off of what, not just of the, the values of the question that's given for you, but also the questions based on people like you. Um, there are applications, there are not applications, algorithms called matrix factorization that's used for like figure out, you know, what is best to recommend you, 
you know, and machine learning can use that information to help pick better, better things for people like you because it uses large data sets of people. They try to, um, my Facebook will also kind of use certain things like that, Netflix, YouTube. But in order to train your bot, to train your algorithms to do that, you would need to have, um, you would need to know what a goal that you would have to, it would have to be looking for. And then you would have to train it to solve that goal, you know, and all the data would be from different people in the area. You may not use all that data, just maybe, you know, let's say two thirds of it. And then the other third is used to test that data. So once you take your time, you may take a couple of days or weeks to to actually get your data to to be functional, then you can use that same data to test it against data it's never seen to make sure that its level of accuracy is high and its level of and its margin of error is low. And this is done very similar to how things are done where you are writing code, except for the fact that you're not writing code to just do one thing. You're training it to understand how to solve many different things. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, it takes time to get these things to get done. But, you know, it's really fascinating if you're interested in these things, because um, there's a lot of different um, frameworks right now that are available that you can actually start testing these things right now. Um, for example, uh, there's a uh, Google um, provides a free, you know, soft software out of the box. It's called um, TensorFlow and uh, Google's Learning Machine. And as well, as, it's called like Teachable Machine. And uh, it's it's available at teachablemachine.withgoogle.com. Um, and it's an easy way to create machine learning models for your sites or apps or even more. You don't even need to have any expertise in coding at all. You can use this to kind of, I one of the things I actually like using it for was to be able to um, detect my face on the screen and be able to play things to the screen based off of like what facial expressions I'm giving. So if I'm giving an expression where my eyes are closed or I'm, or I'm laughing, it does one thing. If I'm, if I'm waving at the screen, it could detect my hand. And what it does is that it would, it, it looks at it not from this perspective that I'm looking at it, but it looks at it from like the uh, the pixel level. That's the tiny, 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 tiny little you know pixel boxes that are surrounded in the uh, picture um, that make up the images on the page. And based on all those images, it can come up with a determination of what it what what it could be looking at and what it is looking at. And then it's then it's then it's given like several different you know tests you know test data well te well work um, testing data that you use to test against your actual models, and this is done right in the browser. You should check it out at teachablemachine.withgoogle.com. In the future, I might be making some videos about that on how I actually put together these things things because it's a it's a web based tool for it. Um, one of the things that I think is great about it is that you can actually even use it to help you look through several images of photos on your phone that um, that you want it to look at to see if those pictures, find pictures of you or find pictures of a particular area that you're in. They, they use that right now, but if you're looking to make something for yourself, you could do it with this particular library or this type of application. So with that, I'm going to end it right there. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate the time if you got to the end of this podcast. Um, you can, if you want to find out more, you know, please visit uh, Teachable. Um, not Teachable. Uh, te you can visit Teachable Machine 
with google.com for that. Um, if you want to find out more about decision theory and the things we talk about here, you can always visit Twitter where we're going to be putting things together. I also have my website, learnachesium at gmail.com at learnachesium.com and chrissamuel.dev is where my blog is, is at as well. Um, I, I'm actually working on putting together some, um, some courses about programming and how you can use it to learn how to put together, you know, um, ideas such as, you know, you know, building your own website or your app and using these technologies that are com completely free. It's just, it's pretty fun to kind of put together, but it does take some trial and error, but, um, the computers today are very cheap and you can use them to put them, anything together. And I, I definitely would want to put things together. So if you want to learn something specific, let me know in the comments. Anyway, take care. Thanks a lot. And I'll see you guys. Welcome back. This is the Decision Architecture Podcast, a podcast about how decisions define us and how they don't. <laughs> but first, what is decision theory according to academia? Decision theory combines probability theory with utility theory and provides a formal and complete framework for those decisions made under uncertainty. That is, in cases where probability descriptions appropriately capture the decision maker's environment. For large companies, an intelligent agent does not have to pay attention to the actions of other agents as individuals. But for smaller companies, institutions or even families, the situation becomes more like a game. The actions of one individual will significantly affect the utility of the other. This could lead to positive or negative outcomes. Decisions, decisions, decisions. <laughs> Our decisions that we must make greatly affect the outcome of others around us. So, to summarize, when utilities combine with probabilities in the general theory of rational decisions, this is called decision theory. What you do is, you go through the motions of thinking out what you will do about this. And then when the time comes to act, you make a snap judgment.